The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. So this is going to be the homily. So what you saw in the bulletin is, if you have the bulletin, we're going to sing the last two songs together. But I'm actually going to speak on this text. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw its star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, there's something It's in all of us that we love stories. G.K. Chesterton said, I've always felt life is a story. And if there's a story, there's a storyteller. We love stories because they move us, they marvel us, they melt us. But they reveal the heart of the one that's telling the story. And I've noticed, and I'm not obviously in Hollywood... But it seems to me like the actors, they always have this itching to be the director. And the directors always have an itching to be an actor. And so the cat's meow, so to speak, is when the director gets to be in something they're directing. And they actually get to make an appearance. You know, Alfred Hitchcock has a little cameo where he inserts himself into every one of his movies. Or Stan Lee inserts himself into every one of the Marvel movies. And we like these movies that is directed by Clint Eastwood, but then Clint Eastwood is in it. Or John Krasinski is, you know, he's from The Quiet Place and he's in it, but he also directs it. And we like that. Well, isn't that what you have here? You have the great storyteller, the greatest story of which all stories borrow from, the God of the universe who doesn't just direct, but he inserts himself into the story. And right here, he's entering the story in time, place, and history that we've been reading about tonight. 
At first, he's hidden, just like I use the illustration a lot of the undercover boss story, where in an undercover boss show, he always, you know, this great person who's a CEO of a company will hide themselves and they'll come up here and they'll work alongside people. And often they're rejected and despised, kind of much like a, in a Jane Austen love story where the heroine is convinced that the hero is really no good. She despises him. She sees him as a bad person. But slowly she begins to discover and unravels little truths that begin to dawn on her that the man she initially despised isn't really too bad. Matter of fact, he's really good. And maybe I don't hate him so much. Maybe I'm actually... I love him and I'm falling in love with him. Isn't that what we have in the scriptures? That the one that we thought was not so impressive, the one that we thought was actually the problem, the one that we ran from, the one that we crucified, is actually the one who came down. And he came down to save us. And all of a sudden he begins to turn on the lights in our hearts. And hopefully we begin to see that the one that we didn't like or despised all of a sudden becomes more glorious than anything else in our life. Years ago, there was a song written by Joan Osborne, not a Christian song by any means. And the song was just called One of Us. It was, what if God was one of us? And it starts off with just incredible lyrics and then disintegrates in the chorus. And the part at the beginning of the song is, and this is all, this was on the pop chart, some of you remember this. If God had a name, what would it be? And what would you call it to his face? And if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you just had one question? I mean, does that start off well or what? And then it proceeds into the chorus of what if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. It kind of goes downhill from there, like I said. But the idea is that God was one of us. He has a name. It's Emmanuel, God with us. With us, like us in every way, yet the scripture says, without sin. He came into our world and he enters into this story. And in this very story that I just read, there are four different types of characters. Initially, you'd think there was only two because it says two in the bulletin, but the more I've looked at it, there's actually four. There are four people here, and I'm curious where you fit into this bigger meta-narrative of the story of the Bible, the big story of creation, fall, saving and redeeming us by Jesus, and then the ultimate restoration of which we look forward to. Eugene Peterson, who's now with the Lord, he said this, when we submit our lives to what is read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. And so I'm curious where you see yourself in this story. Because there are some here that are apathetic. There are some here that are afraid, and there's some here that abhor, and there's some here that adore. Do you see the four characters? I mean, we've got all the scribes, chiefs, priests of the people, and they know where Jesus is going to be born. They tell him right off, oh, it's in Bethlehem. It's 5.5 miles away. Do any of them get off their duffs? 
and make their way to Bethlehem to see the most greatest thing that's been prophesied hundreds of years in advance? Do they get up and go? Do the insiders make it to Jesus? No. They're apathetic. They're lazy. They're really smart, intellectual. They know where he's going to be born. And they tell the the Magi who've come over a thousand miles and months of a journey. They've reoriented their lives. Their whole life has changed to follow this star, these Magi. And they've come to see Jesus. They've come to adore. They're not apathetic. And then we're just told this offhanded statement that says, when Herod heard about this, he was troubled. It's the same word. It's actually for an earthquake. And all Jerusalem with him. There we see the masses of people. Most people are just afraid. They don't want anything that's going to rock the boat. Don't even bring any any baby that's going to think he's a king because we've got some crazy king that kills lots of people. Anybody who gets close to him, I mean, I could read you some crazy stats about this Herod, but he was scary. And so all Jerusalem is scared. They don't want anything to do with Jesus because they don't want anybody rocking the boat. They're all troubled. They don't want anything to do with this. And then we have, we have Herod himself. And he abhors Jesus because he has his own little kingdom. He's the king. Reminds me of what Nietzsche said as a philosopher. He said, there cannot be a God because if there's one, I could not believe that I was not he. It's not really a very profound statement, but you see, what you have here is homage and hatred reverence and revulsion, elation and attempted elimination, adoration and attempted assassination. Jesus' entrance into the world is greeted by radically different responses. The Magi are devoted to finding Jesus. Herod is devoted to finding Jesus, but for entirely different reasons. Both the wise men and Herod both sought after Jesus Both declared their intentions to worship him. The wise men were truly wise men. And they came worshiping him and giving gifts. And actually fulfilling a prophecy that's told to us in Isaiah chapter 60. Where we're told about this Messiah. That nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. Right there in Isaiah 60, verses 3 to 6, that Jesus is going to bring people from far away and other nations showing us that Jesus is going to be worshipped by everybody. And that's the beginning of the story of Matthew. And you remember the story ends in Matthew with Jesus rising from the dead and being raised and, and Mary clings to him and worships him. And then it says when he got the disciples that they worshipped him although some doubt it. And he tells them to go into all the world and tell this message. You see, Jesus is the one who reorients our lives. And I hope you're not like one of these insiders, like scribes and priests, where you know a lot of scriptures, but it doesn't change your heart. It doesn't affect you that you would want to actually get up and do something, that you would want to go and and worship and and give gifts and talents and, and serve this king. And I hope you wouldn't be someone that's just all worried and all afraid and all concerned about anything that would rock the boat 
and you just want comfort. That's all you care about. You see, Jesus is coming again. And he is the Lord of glory. And he's come to save his people. And he's coming to make all things new. All will be well for his people. And his people have to be saved from their sins. And that involves us people recognizing our precious need for him. Most of the people in the story tonight that we read, they're all little people. People like Simeon that are just in the temple waiting. People like Joseph, who's just a carpenter, and this virgin mother Mary, that nobody would have known who those people were. And Elizabeth, they're just, they were just minor players in this story, shepherds that are just out in the field. And yet all of them are special to Jesus. There are no little people. But all of us must turn and give our attention and work our story to see where, is, where do we fit into his story because it's here that we find our purpose for living. Otherwise, we are living for things that God didn't intend or make us for. What has he made you for? And ultimately, he has made us as worshipers. And this story finds its connection when we connect our story to the story of Jesus. Let me close, close with this great quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says this. You, many of you have heard this before, but some people think that the Bible's a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he's done. Other people think the Bible's a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, as you'll soon find out. Most of the people in the Bible, though, aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, and sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that comes true in real life. You see, the best thing about the story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and has come to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you see a beautiful picture. Do you see it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great, great story. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you came. You came so low. We thank you that you went all the way to a cross to take our debt, our payment, our punishment. We thank you, Father, that you were pleased to do it, to send your Son out of love for this world. We pray that, Lord, we would be changed this Christmas season, that we would be a thankful people, and that we would be inclined and want to tell others about this great story. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.